Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 278, which brings us to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Hope you're doing well today. And let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we turn to his word again. Father in heaven, you are God Almighty, holy and just and true. We are mere human beings, made in your image, but fallen in sin. We cannot fully comprehend you, and we would have no hope of knowing you if you did not reveal yourself to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. Thank you for loving us and drawing us to yourself. Speak to us now through your word, we pray. Write it on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 25. If there is a dispute between men, and they come into court, and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. Forty stripes may be given him, but not more, lest if one should go on and beat him with more stripes than these, your brother be degraded in your sight. You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. If your brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger, her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her, and the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him, and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull the sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. When men fight with one another, and the wife of the one draws near to rescue her husband from the hand of him who is beating him, and she puts out her hand and seizes him by the private parts, then you shall cut off her hand. Your eye shall have no pity. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. That's Deuteronomy 25. We're continuing here with what is primarily the civil laws that would govern the nation of Israel. So we know that the church 
is not an earthly geopolitical entity, is not a theocracy on earth. You know, America's not a theocracy. America's not the kingdom of God. Um, even a majority Christian nation is not in itself the, the kingdom of God on earth or the church shouldn't be confused with that. And so we need to be careful how we apply these things. We are to see the justice that underlies them, the moral principles that underlie them. We are to pursue those moral principles and those principles of justice in a broader sense. And we are to seek to establish love for neighbor and justice uh, as we have influence in the world, but not as uh, trying to dictate a theocracy uh, to our neighbors who do not know the Lord. So how do we work our way through these particular passages? Well, there is a limit to punishment. Punishment should not be degrading, right? The opening verses of chapter 25, for example, are part of what underlies like the U.S. constitutional amendment that forbids unusual, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. You shouldn't be cruel and unusual in your punishment towards someone. Also think of the Apostle Paul, who five times received from the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So in Paul's day, the Jewish people in trying to implement these rules said, you can give them 40 lashes, but not one more. So we'll do 40 and one less. And the idea is we don't go on and beat him with more stripes than these. Now, this would also indicate that some of the ways that professing Christian people treated slaves, for example, in previous generations, was just wrong. It was unbiblical. Uh, there's this provision that you tie a man down, he lie down and be tied down, and he'd be beaten in the presence with a number of stripes. And there, there was a practice among, among slaveholders in the South and in other parts of the, of the British Empire and other parts where they would stretch out a slave on the ground and then they would beat him, but they would beat him stripped naked and they would beat him often to death. So that you're taking something that is sort of coming from this passage, but then you're going way beyond what the limits are set by this passage to be cruel, unusual, brutal, and very much degrading. So it is important that justice be kept proportional, a number of stripes proportional to his offense, right? No more than 40, no matter what, and don't degrade him. Verse 4, you shall not muzzle an ox when he's treading out the grain. The Apostle Paul says this is not really primarily reflecting God's concern for oxen, but it's actually primarily God's concern for ministers of the gospel, that those who make their living uh, those, those who have dedicated their lives to the ministry of the gospel should make their living from the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul says is a right application of that. And that shows us that sometimes when we're applying these things spiritually to the church, we have to understand the heart that's behind it. And so an, a faithful gospel minister is like an ox, right? He's a servant. He's called to do a task. He's called to work and work hard. And he should not be muzzled. He should be cared for as he works and works hard. Now, this whole longer section in the middle has to do with uh, leave right marriage and taking care to provide an heir for the dead brother. This this practice is, is expanded and there becomes like who the next eligible relative is who can carry on the line. And this is what underlies the whole book of Ruth, which has, you know, um, 
Ruth, Mary, and Boaz to provide uh, children for uh, her, her father-in-law who had passed away without any having any of his sons survive. So this is a way of God providing for the continuation of the line in Israel, the, the, the covenant line. And there are many people who think that that's the best explanation for the two genealogies of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke is that there was a Levite marriage that Joseph was involved in. So Joseph um, was providing, he has two different fathers who were listed in the two different. And so it may be that Joseph was the offspring of a Levite marriage. And one of the genealogies is giving us his biological father. And the other genealogy is giving us his legal father. So because this firstborn male that comes out of this, he's going to be biologically the father, the son of the father who, who, who produces him, right? But then legally, he's going to be the heir of the, of the estate of another line. So he's going to have two fathers. He's going to have a biological father, and he's going to have um, then the, the legal father. And that's probably the best explanation for the two different genealogies in Matthew and Luke, is that Jesus was the product of this kind of a marriage that we see in the book of Ruth. And so I, th I think actually that's part of the reason why the book of Ruth is given to us, is to prepare us for the idea that this is actually what's behind Jesus and his ancestry in the world as well. Um, so men fight with one another and there's limits. This this is a little bit uh, brutal. Like if the wife reaches out and grabs a private part, you cut off her hand. And we're like, wow, that's severe. But what's the issue here? Right? Take We take it seriously, look past the, wow, that's brutal. What's the issue here? The issue here is that she is trying to rob this man of being able to have children, especially following right after the passage before, it's reinforcing the idea of how important it was for men to be able to have offspring so that they can continue the covenant line. And if she is making an attempt to essentially prevent him from having children, to cut off his line with him, then that's a very severe thing she's trying to do and thus the very severe punishment. Justice in terms of economics, treating everybody fairly and equally is what's behind verses 13 to 16. You don't have two different weights, two different measures, a full and fair weight, a full and fair measure. This is economic justice. You treat everybody the same. You treat everybody fairly. And there are, there's a long history and there's a human tendency to say, well, I'll cut special favor to this guy because he's more influential and has more money. And this guy, I'm not going to cut special favor to because he's a nobody. Like God says, don't do that. Treat everybody the same. Be fair and just and equal in all of your dealings. The last paragraph really is a reminder to us that God is jealous for his people and that he protects his people. But it's also a reminder to us that Israel was a geopolitical theocracy, that they were a nation state with borders and an army that the church isn't today. So, But the enemies of the church today, those who fight against, those who oppress God's people, God sees that. God takes note of that. And even in Revelation, we have the martyrs crying out for justice, and God says that he will settle accounts with those who attack his people when Jesus comes again and makes all things right. So we are not to raise an army and go raise up arms and go kill our enemies because our rest, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 tells us we're involved in spiritual warfare. We're a spiritual kingdom. But we have a very real savior, redeemer, who's coming again. And he will repay to the adversaries of his people 
with justice when he comes again. So we can trust him and we can wait for him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and for the provision that you make for us and for our needs. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever understand, that you have greater wisdom than we could ever hope to have. Help us to submit to your wisdom, to seek after your wisdom, and to live by your wisdom, by the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's Deuteronomy 25. Tomorrow we'll be in Deuteronomy 26. Hope you can join me then. Have a blessed day in the Lord.